0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples set out for the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Along the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter said to him in reply, You are the Christ. Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. He spoke this openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. At this he turned around and, looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, we've been walking through, we're in year B, so we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark as a whole, but we took a little detour and actually jumped into John and we heard the Bread of Life discourse, which then got us to focus on the Bread of Life. So we've actually been kind of a, a series on the Bread of Life, continuing to remind us, point to the Bread of Life, point to the Eucharist, and learning about that some more. This is actually the last week that we'll be doing that. Now every single homily Will reference or or should at least explicitly or implicitly reference the Eucharist, uh, but this is the last time that we kind of focus that I'll be focusing on explicitly the bread of life within this. And so uh, the also these uh, readings are all awesome, and I wish that we could spend an hour you know talking about all of the different things, but that's just not going to happen. Uh, we're already ran a little bit late, so I got to cut it e- even shorter. But I want to talk a little bit about Peter and the way in which uh, he kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of sometimes our struggle with the bread of life. Peter is, of course, given many different names, right? He's originally called Simon, and then Jesus gives him the name of Peter. We know of the other interaction that he calls him the rock, right? He's going to be a rock for the church, right? Kind of, as we understand, the first pope, the, the first among equals within the apostles, but today we hear a different side, right? We've, we've heard this side of Peter before, but we hear a different side of Peter as well, where Jesus calls him, not Peter, not the rock, but Satan. Satan. Well, what happened here, right? He's Peter who's speaking on behalf of the church, right? He's the one who's able to speak with authority, who speaks on behalf of the apostles. What happened here? Well, Jesus tells us, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. And we recognize this, that popes are not perfect. Peter was not perfect. He's not pope because he's perfect. It's because of the grace and the authority that Jesus Christ gives. We recognize this. There are certain times when the pope and Peter speaks, that he speaks on behalf of everyone, right? You are the Christ. And he speaks on behalf of the church and explaining our belief as a whole. But there are certain times when he doesn't. Now, I don't want to get in debate uh, about popes in general. What I want to recognize within ourselves is that's also true within our own selves, right? Sometimes we acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, and sometimes we think as human beings do. Now, what's the difference? Well, I can't exactly explain everything uh, that is godly thought. I I fully believe that the Catholic Church teaches the fullness of the faith, And so if there is anything that's contrary to the church teaching within my thought or my understanding, I desire to be conformed not to my way of understanding, but desire to be corrected and and to be formed in uh, the bride of Christ, the church's understanding of who Christ is, who the sacraments are and, and what I'm made for as well. However, for myself, as well as for humanity, it's very easily to think as human beings do. Well, why? Because we are formed in the world. Most of our interactions is not with reading Scripture, not with God, not with church, but is with the world. And what, do the, what does the world often set up as the priorities? Well, as Peter was thinking about here today, is that Jesus was talking about being about suffering, being rejected, and being killed. Right? Those are all things that in a human way of understanding, we say, are bad. And not just bad, but evil, right? Suffering is evil. Being rejected, well, that's evil. Dying, that's evil. But what we actually see is that God's understanding that, yes, yeah, suffering might not be what we seek in life. Death isn't what we pursue, But that is actually not the evils in the world. The evils in the world are when we choose to think that those are the evils in some ways, right? That's the way, uh, but instead we know that God works beyond that. That suffering, being rejected, or even death itself is not the greatest evil. And when we uh, sometimes judge the world, or sometimes I find often uh, within the struggle of understanding the world in a Catholic view, uh, one of the things that often is most difficult is kind of sometimes the Catholic moral or ethical teaching. And what's often the biggest thing against some of the church's teachings on morals or ethics? It's, the, it's criticized because it said, well, that's really difficult. That would cause suffering. You know, that's not easy. And that's like, exactly, it's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. It's what's right, however. And God doesn't desire us to take the low and easy path. That's not how we judge godly thought. Whatever is easiest. Whatever is the path of least resistance. But instead, we recognize that that's a human way of thinking. But instead, we want to act in faith. We want to act in trust in a godly way of what He gives to us in the midst of it all. And sometimes that is a struggle. Sometimes in the church, throughout many ages, it has actually caused the death of believers in martyrdom, in holding up the faith. It causes division in family at times, it causes great difficulty. But that does not cause us to be able to say, well, that must not be God's thought. Well, it is if we think in a human way, we think in in Peter's way to a certain degree of saying, whoa, whoa, Jesus, you can't suffer greatly. You can't be rejected. You can't be killed. Don't be talking like this. No, that's when we reject the church's teaching and certain things because it's difficult We think not as God does, but as human beings. Now, just because something's difficult doesn't mean that we need to do it, right? Okay, that's not not the equation here. But sometimes we need to be formed not in uh, a human way of thinking, but godly way of thinking. And how do we do that? Well, one of the most important things that we do in our week, every single week, is come here to Mass. That's actually the act of faith. One of the ways to combat a human way of understanding, a human way of thinking, like Peter gets trapped in today, is by making acts of faith. And we do that in many different ways. Every single time that we pray, every single time that we choose to do something out of love and charity for another person, right? There are so many opportunities every single day, every single moment to make acts of faith. But the most important one, the primary, the uh, most powerful one that we do, is actually come here to Mass. Because this is the one, the primary means that God gives us. And so when we come here to Mass, when we take that time, we are making an act of faith. We are saying we're giving up part of our day, part of our life when we could have been doing something else and coming here to say that this is important. I'm coming here to be with God, to pray with Him, to to remind myself of who God is and who I am as well, Now, within the Mass, the, the part I want to talk about for the Bread of Life is, is the most important moment that we have an opportunity to connect and participate and make an act of faith is the moment when we come up for Eucharist and we, after bowing, come up to receive and the priest or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion holds up the host and they say, the body of Christ. And in response, we don't say, okay, yep, that's nice, thank you. Uh, We don't say those things. What we actually get to do is that, it's an interesting point, because it almost, kind of in some ways, uh, is like what Peter initially starts with. Uh, Because, you know, we ask, well, what do other people believe? What does the Catholic Church believe? Well, the Catholic Church believes that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, right? Right? That's what the Catholic Church believes. And we profess that. However, Jesus isn't concerned. I mean, he is concerned in the fact that he gives us that teaching through the church. However, he is also, he's wondering, and he's asking, well, but what do you believe, right? Who do you say that I am? What do you believe about the Eucharist? And when you come up, and when the... Priest or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion says the body of Christ, that's, an, that's a profession of what other people say, right? What the church says. It says, the, the church says, this is the body of Christ. But then what do you say? Amen. Amen says, yes, you are the Christ. I believe that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That amen that you say is such a short phrase, but it has such significance and meaning. Its roots is within a Hebrew affirmation of what is said. And so we keep that not as just a thank you, not as just an acknowledgement, but a profession of faith within that of saying, yes, I believe as the church believes. I believe you are the Christ. You are the bread of life. This is the Eucharist, right? And so as we come up, we want to be able to do that. And so I'd just like to run through uh, kind of some of the practicals of that. The church gives us two different ways of receiving the Eucharist. One is on the hand, one is on the tongue. The receiving on the hand is actually a more ancient form. We actually have some accounts in the early church of accounts of mass. And they talk about people coming up, uh, coming... Or receiving the Eucharist by placing their hand one on top of each other and making a throne to receive the Eucharist. And so it's kind of an ancient in the first and second century that we have some accounts of that. However, as the church developed in its understanding of the Eucharist and desiring reverence, there was a certain moment when then the tradition transferred on to receiving on the tongue because receiving on the hands was almost too callous in some ways, right? There could be sometimes lost crumbs or, or other things. And so we have the tradition of probably about 75 or, or 80 years ago where it was across the universal church that there would be an altar rail, rail like, that people would come up and receive on the tongue. Uh, in the 70s, uh, there was kind of a desire to return back to kind of some of the, the fonts, the, the original church in some ways. And so there was kind of this allowing, the church initially allowed people to receive on the hand, specifically in the United States. And then it kind of became the norm. However, the, uh, I'd just like to make a clarification there in that the church still in uh, kind of in its general law, actually has us receive on the tongue and allows us to receive on the hand, even though that it is the norm to receive on the hand. Again, nothing wrong with it, uh, just there is a kind of a distinction in some ways of that of that reception. If we're going to receive either way, we can do it very reverently, and that's the most important part, because we can do irreverently either way as well. We want to be reverent. And so if we receive on the hand, we want to be able to receive Uh, one hand on top of the other, okay? Not side by side. Every once in a while I see this, and if it's side by side, that's a little bit difficult for the priest or the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion because if they place it in the center, that's not a good place, but which hand do they place it in and whatnot? What you often want to do is you want to take your dominant hand that you're going to actually receive the Eucharist and actually place that on the bottom, right? Because the Eucharist will be placed, and many people do this just naturally, automatically, uh, right? But you want to cup a little bit, right? Not have it completely fat, but... Flat, but cup, kind of like a, a crown, uh, to be able to receive the Eucharist and then be able to receive. If you notice ever any crumbs on your hands, you want to be able to not just brush those off, but go ahead and try to receive those to the best of your ability to be able to do that. Um, as you come up, right, you want to come up with your hands ready. You want to not hold them close to yourself, but have them in a way in which it, you're close enough to the priest or the extraordinary members of the Holy Communion to be able to receive Easily, right? And make that clear. I know that you know what you're doing when you make, when you put one hand on top of the other. If you don't, then we've, you know, sometimes it's a little bit confusing. If you receive on the tongue, ask you to only, uh, right now, currently, just to receive uh, myself because I sanitize my uh, hands after each time, um, and to come up to me. And again, to, to make it clear, I, sometimes it's a little bit confusing if somebody comes up to receive the Eucharist uh, on the tongue and they hold their hands like this. Well, that's kind of sometimes a universal sign, right, that you receive a blessing and not. So if you come up and you receive on the tongue, please don't. I know that sometimes people are putting their hands on their hearts, but that can sometimes be a little bit confusing for me, okay, right? So either holding your hands uh, continually like this or even dropping your hands down and, again, bowing uh, and being ready to receive uh, allows that. In the extraordinary form, in the ancient church, the way, or in the last, uh, before the 70s, the way in which the priest would actually give the Eucharist is that the pre- people did not say amen. So that can sometimes be a little bit confusing as well, that the priest would actually say I wrote it down because I haven't uh, done it. He would say, may the body of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve your soul unto life everlasting, amen. And you just receive the Eucharist. The church has has changed that a little bit to, again, try to help us to participate and engage. And so that can be a little bit confusing as well. Sometimes every once in a while somebody kneels down to receive the Eucharist and they stick out their tongue right away. Well, you've got to say amen first, right? So wait until I say the body of Christ, say amen, and then open up your mouth and stick out your tongue. And, and there are different preferences for priests in terms of how that's best to do. Uh, I know that there are different preferences. So my preference is that you open up your mouth and stick out your tongue at least uh, beyond, a little bit beyond your lip, actually, but not sticking your tongue way out. Again, there are different priests that, that uh, prefer it different ways, and the more you're used to it, uh, that's the way that works out best for me Um, and so those are just uh, some practicals in the midst of it all Um, ultimately at the end of the day what we want to be able to do is to be able to receive the eucharist with great reverence right to make an act of faith in what it is and not just go through the motions saying bowing and saying amen is not just something that everybody does it's something that is an act of faith something that we engage and participate in. And so I hope that we can continue to help each other, continue to help especially the little ones as they learn more, your families, everyone, to be able to engage and to be able to say, yes, amen, right? amen, that I believe as the church believes. I believe that you are the Christ. You are the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in this great gift that we have here today.